Chapter four of Pioneer Life Among the Loyalists in Upper Canada by W. S. Harrington. Chapter four Early Courts and Elections all that territory from the ottawa river to the detroit in which the loyalists settled inclusive of the western bank of the latter river was of course part of the province of quebec but there was very little in common between the newly arrived settlers and their french neighbours on the lower st lawrence there were no judges no lawyers and no regularly established courts in any of the new settlements the people were too busy to devote much time to litigation the nearest court was at montreal and to the english-speaking settlers the french civil code which was in force was an untried experiment and they wisely endeavoured to avoid making use of the legal machinery at their disposal minor differences were frequently referred to some of the officers who had been appointed to take charge of the bands of immigrants when they left their former homes these officers did not profess to be versed in the law but they had exercised a certain amount of authority during the voyage and in locating the families committed to their care and in distributing the supplies it was quite natural that they should be appealed to when the parties to a dispute were unable to come to a satisfactory understanding between themselves they were not hampered by hair-splitting precedents or long-established forms of procedure but they made the best of their common sense in their efforts to apply the golden rule and so far as is known substantial justice was done as early as seventeen eighty five indeed the justices of the peace were given jurisdiction in civil cases up to five pounds twenty dollars but they had little to do and their courts were very informal on the twenty fourth of july seventeen eighty eight lord dorchester governor of quebec issued a proclamation dividing the newly settled territory into four districts as follows lunenburg composed of all that portion east of the gannicock river mecklenburg from gannicock to the trent nassau from the trent to a line running north and south through the extreme projection of long point into lake erie and hesse that portion of the province west of the last mentioned line there was established in each district a court of common pleas of unlimited civil jurisdiction presided over by three judges except in hesse where one judge only was finally appointed attended by a sheriff and the other necessary officers in naming the first judges to serve in the newly established courts lord dorchester selected men of well-known probity from different walks of life regardless of their experience in courts of law on the division of the old province of quebec into upper and lower canada john grave simcoe was appointed the first governor of upper canada and the first parliament met at niagara on the seventeenth day of september a d seventeen ninety two with a due regard for the wishes of the people the first act placed upon the statute book abolished the french code and declared that in all matters of controversy relative to property and civil rights resort shall be made to the laws of england this was a longed-for boon welcomed by all classes at the same session there was passed an act for establishing courts of request for the recovery of debts up to forty shillings whereby it was declared to be lawful for any two or more justices of the peace 
acting within the respective limits of their commissions to hold a court of justice on the first and third saturdays of every month at some place fixed within their respective divisions for the purpose of adjudicating upon these small claims it was essentially a justice's court they appointed their own officers devised their own forms and laid down their own method of procedure these courts afforded the magistrates an opportunity of appearing upon the bench and taking part in judicial proceedings without calling for the exercise of any superior legal knowledge this was a privilege which many of them greatly enjoyed and of which they took full advantage as is shown by the fact that as many as ten have been known to preside at a sittings although only two were necessary footnote i find upon an examination of the records of the court of requests held at bath covering a period of eight years from eighteen nineteen that rarely were there less than four justices present frequently there were more than that number and at the four sessions of march and april eighteen twenty seven there were seven ten six and eight respectively End note. there were no courthouses at the disposal of the justices when the act first came into force and only one in each district when buildings were afterwards erected so they were forced to hold their courts in private residences taverns or any other convenient room that could be secured when we endeavour to picture a row of justices behind a deal table across the end of a low-ceilinged kitchen crowded with litigants any preconceived notions of the dignity of the court of requests are speedily dispelled in eighteen sixteen the jurisdiction of the court of requests was extended to claims of five pounds where the amount of the indebtedness was acknowledged by the signature of the defendant or established by a witness other than the plaintiff it did not take merchants long to discover that it was greatly to their advantage in more ways than one to take from their customers promissory notes in settlement of their accounts for by thus obtaining a written acknowledgment of the debt an action for the recovery of the amount within the increased jurisdiction could be brought at a trifling expense in this court by another act of seventeen ninety two the german names of the four districts were changed respectively to the more acceptable english ones eastern midland home and western and provision was made for the erection of a jail and courthouse in each of them before these very necessary public buildings were erected even the higher courts were held in cramped and uncomfortable quarters it is said that the first sentence of capital punishment imposed in upper canada was pronounced in a tavern on the shore of the bay of kent at bath and as summary execution was the recognized method of carrying into effect the judgment of the court the convict was immediately hanged to a basswood tree on the roadside only a few rods distant the pathetic part of this tragic incident is that it was afterwards learned that the poor victim was innocent of the charge of which he was found guilty the theft of a watch such a stigma attached to this particular basswood tree that it was adopted and used for years as a public whipping-post footnote this incident was i believe first published by dr caniff in eighteen sixty nine in his settlement of upper canada i am unable to point to any official record bearing out his statement but up to a few years ago old residents including descendants of the tavern-keeper told the story and evidently believed it End note. 
in the early courts the parties before them were occasionally represented by counsel but the only recognized standard of admission to the bar was under an ordinance of the old province of quebec and few were called under such conditions it can readily be conceived that it would be difficult to maintain any uniformity in the practice in seventeen ninety four the legislature empowered the governor lieutenant-governor or person administering the affairs of the province to authorize by license under his hand and seal such and so many of his majesty's liege subjects not exceeding sixteen in number as he shall deem from their probity education and condition of life best qualified to act as advocates and attorneys in the conduct of all legal proceedings in the province in eighteen o three the demand for lawyers had become so pressing at least so it was alleged that an act was passed making it lawful to add in a similar manner six more practitioners to the roll neither of these acts called for any educational test or professional experience it is not therefore a matter of surprise to learn that the gentlemen of the long robe who were thus admitted to the bar were sometimes alluded to as heaven-born lawyers though some of them were of the highest standing one becoming a judge of the king's bench another treasurer of the law society the law society of upper canada which has now its headquarters at osgood hall toronto may properly be classed among the pioneer institutions of the province it came into being under the provisions of a statute of seventeen ninety seven which made it lawful for all persons then practising at the bar to form themselves into a society under the name which it still retains the declared purpose of the society in addition to caring for the needs of the legal profession was to support and maintain the constitution of the said province it was created a body corporate by an act of eighteen twenty two and its affairs are administered to-day upon somewhat the same lines as those upon which it was first formed before the arrival of governor simcoe many of the communities had organized their town meetings and appointed their local officers such as clerks constables and overseers of highways the provisions of the first statute authorizing such meetings were based upon the organizations already in existence so that the idea of local self-government did not originate with the legislature parliament merely legalized and made general throughout the entire province the holding of just such town meetings as had already been organized in many of the older townships footnote for instance the town meetings of the township of sydney date from seventeen ninety one and those of adolphus town from seventeen ninety two although the statute authorizing them was not passed until july seventeen ninety three End note it is no particular mark of superiority to-day to be enrolled as a justice of the peace not so in the early days of upper canada the humblest citizen may now in correspondence be addressed as esquire but a hundred years ago all hats were doffed when the squire passed through the streets of a village he was a man of some importance he tried petty offences in his own neighbourhood as a member of the court of requests minor civil actions were heard by him but as a member of the court of general sessions he rose to his greatest dignity 
this body of justices assembled in general sessions not only disposed of criminal cases except those of the gravest kind but were clothed with executive power as well they enacted local legislation for the districts which they represented they levied and dispersed the taxes granted licenses superintended the erection of courthouses and jails the building of bridges and generally performed the functions of our municipal councils of to-day they met periodically in the leading village of the district and sometimes remained in session for a week and considering the amount of business they transacted they were very expeditious as compared with the modern county council few would gainsay the statement if i were to add that the municipal legislators of to-day frequently do not in many other respects attain the standard of a hundred years ago the town meetings continued to meet once a year on the first monday in march to appoint officers and although they had no jurisdiction to do so to pass repeal and amend enactments for purely local purposes these prudential laws as they called them regulated such matters as the height of fences the running at large of certain animals and the extermination of noxious weeds the people favoured the town meeting as it was of their own making it was the first step in democratic government by and for the people the chronic grumbler found there an opportunity to air his grievances the loquacious inflicted his oratory upon his assembled neighbours each man to his liking played his part at the annual gathering and realised that he was of some consequence in controlling the affairs of the township thus did the inhabitants continue to encroach upon the authority of the justices in session who from time to time issued their decrees dealing with some of the matters over which the town meetings had assumed jurisdiction until eighteen fifty when our present municipal system was introduced and the justices were practically shorn of all but their judicial power parliamentary elections to-day are very tame affairs compared with those of a century ago the open vote afforded opportunities for exciting scenes that the rising generations know not of the closing of the bars on election day has robbed the occasion of a good deal of romance the actual voting contest is now limited to eight hours from nine to five and to-day one may rest peacefully in a room adjoining a polling booth and not be aware that an election is in progress it was all very different in the days of our grandfathers whisky and the open vote were two very potent factors in keeping up the excitement instead of having several booths scattered throughout each township there was only one in the electoral district the principal village in the district was generally selected but sometimes the only booth was set up in a country tavern especially if it was in a central location and the proprietor could pull enough political strings a platform was constructed out of rough boards and protected from the weather by a sloping roof on monday morning of election week the candidates and their henchmen assembled in the vicinity of the platform which was known as the hustings the electors came pouring in from all parts of the district each party had its headquarters at a tavern or tent or both where the workers would lay their plans the forenoon was spent in listening to the orators of the day and at one o'clock the polling began it is easy to imagine what would happen to the doubtful voter when he arrived at the village 
as the pole was kept open all day and every day until saturday night it is not quite so easy to picture the scenes during the last day or two of a hot contest couriers with foaming horses were going and coming heated discussions frequently terminated in a rough-and-tumble fight in which a score or more participated drunken men reeled about the streets until carefully stowed away by their friends in a tent or in a stall in the tavern stable if the inebriate had not polled his vote his whilom friends were most solicitous in the attention bestowed upon him it not infrequently happened that the indifferent voter purposely played into the hands of both parties it was a golden opportunity for free lunches and free whisky and the longer he deferred the fateful hour when he had to announce to the returning officer the candidate of his choice the more difficult it was for him to choose in his dilemma he would seek his solace in a little more whisky and in the end perhaps vote for the wrong man if unhappily he did make such a mistake his political guardians never failed to call his attention to the error in a manner not likely soon to be forgotten such incidents were thereafter associated in the mind of the offender with unpleasant recollections of the village pump or the nearest creek End of chapter four